Sorry, how do you say the name of your show? You just say C-E Lab or C Lab? <laughs> how do you say your name? Deepina or Deepina? <laughs> I really should know this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a good friend. Hey, hey, Dave. Uh, we're not. We're gonna. We're not gonna do this. This isn't happening anymore. She doesn't. I can talk about podcasts that you Dave, have done. Dave. I, I, she I doesn't know how the show. She doesn't know how to say the name of the show. Oh my god. Jump in yeah, I'll, I'll I'll jump in, and you can you can round it off at the end. All right. Okay. So, Dave earlier was talking about roguelikes, so we've kind of established what that genre Roblox? is. It's the idea that. <laughs> what you say? Roblox. Sorry. Yeah, Dave. Dave was talking about. I play Roblox. that too. It's actually really fun. Yeah, I I, I don't. Maybe I should. Yeah, um, kids that make you do no, it. No, you were you were talking about rogue rogue likes. And a roguelike game, again, is one where generally you're going to be going through some sort of dungeon and you're going to be like battling or fighting your way through a series of levels uh, and you're going to get killed a lot. And every time you get killed, you essentially get reset, right? So, and and you you might lose a bunch of stuff that you had when you went through the, the dungeon. So one game that got me through the pandemic in a lot of ways was a game called Hades, which is also oh, a roguelike game. Hades. Yeah. D- oh, Davey played. Oh God, yes. It's 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 silky smooth, cool, fun. I love it. And it's and you Hades? learn stuff. Silky smooth. Silky cool, smooth. Fun. I love that. And, and you learn Greek history. Oh, okay. Now I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So so I mean, it, it is. It's based in Greek mythology, and. It is silky smooth. So you are playing as Zagreus, who is this like minor god who is a son of Hades, and he is trying to battle his way out from the underworld to see his mother Persephone, who he doesn't know if she's there, if she's not, where he's going to find her. And like you said, Dave, it's a silky smooth game. The art is phenomenal. The Mm. voice acting has so much character. Uh, even just the level design and the way that the characters are animated and the way that Zagreus is animated. Uh, it's just, it's a beautiful game to look at and to listen to. So you're going to want to play with your, your sound on and your eyes open, but deal breaker. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Pr- yeah. Well, it's a visual game. That's, it is. It is. No, it is. It's a very, very visual game. So you don't want to be playing Candy Crush while you, uh, or Orbijul <laughs> while, while you, while you play. But you also need your reflexes, right? Because there's a lot of battling. So it's not necessarily something like Slay the Spire where you've got a deck and you've got a lot of time <laughs> to think about what, uh, you know, what card you're going to play next. Here, the enemies are coming at you. Uh, where you are in the room and what attacks and what moves you're using and how you're dodging matters a lot. So it's a very physical game. Your reflexes matter. Uh, And maybe the other thing that's different from something like Slay the Spire is that unlike that game where you've got like a series of different heroes with different abilities that you can play as, 
Um, but none of them really have much personality, Dave, unless I, nope. unless that happens further into the game. No, no, they're all personality less pretty much. Yeah. They're all, they're, they're all just like basically like empty vessels for you to play as. Right. So Zagreus has a personality, right? And the way that the game changes is not because you have different characters to play with. The way the game changes is intimately related to the way that Zagreus changes as the plot moves forward. Mm -hmm. So as you gain new abilities, as you um, play with different weapons, you're also going through this story. So it's deeply engaging mm -hmm. because you're essentially going through the story of Zagreus learning to... Um, mature and go on his own journey and kind of the relationship that he has with his mother and with his father and with other gods. Um, at, at some point there's all these weird little like side games where there's like, it becomes a decorating game. It becomes a dating sim. There's like a lot of other stuff that happens in the plot around the roguelike. So originally before Dave went, I might've made this point about like failure and kind of like grinding your way through it. But I actually think like one of the more interesting things about this game beyond that, that fact is how the failure and how the repetition of the game is not actually treated as a liability. The fact that you're doing the same thing over and over, as you're skill building and as you're going through the different levels and trying to get, well, not deeper and deeper, you're trying to get higher and higher because you're going to the surface. Mm. Um, that's actually intimately tied into the plot and in some ways gives you the motivation to keep mastering the game. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Plus, plus, oh my God, like the learning that goes on in that. Have you ever listened to the podcast? I know it's kind of for kids, but I actually like it. It's called Greeking Out. Um, no. I, I don't remember who makes it. It might be, I don't know. Regardless, it's really well done. And it's kind of kiddie, but I've learned a whole lot of stuff off of it. Like re remembering my Greek mythology. But this game does an exceptional job of interweaving Greek mythology into the storyline. And I, I mean, I, I think this is really it's great. It's all accurate, right, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, pretty much, as far as I know. But then, you know, you hear uh, like all these different kinds of gods that are kind of outside of that, you know, pantheon of the Greek uh, of gods and things you, like chaos is in there. I don't know. There's some weird stuff mm -hmm. in there. It's super oh, cool. I'm going to love this. Super I'm cool. I'm obsessed with mythology. Yeah. But, so this and is, it's inclusive because chaos is like uh, uh, gender neutral. Yeah. Huh. Oh, cool. Yeah, chaos is like they, them. Yeah, so it's cool. It's, yeah. it's super cool. It's like fun. in Sandman when desire is neutral. Yeah. yeah. Hey, why did you stop yeah. playing? Have you stopped playing or, or have you gone back? Have you, fin have you finished the game? Me? Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've finished it. In fact, I've, I've that's a, that's finished it as far as it can be finished at all. Goodness. Mm -hmm. So, like, kind of the way it's structured is your first goal, and I'm going to try to say this without spoilers for anyone who's listening who hasn't yeah, played it and or people who are Thank in the room. You. Appreciate it. Is like the first thing you're doing is just trying to get to the end. Like you're trying to like break free of the dungeon and you're going to spend many, many, many cycles, many hours just trying to do that. As you're doing that though, it's not like a normal roguelike where you're just playing the same game over and over. Uh, you're collecting, what's it called? It's called like darkness points or something like that mm -hmm. where you're filling uh, the mirror of Nyx, and the mirror of Nyx gives you different abilities that will help make your subsequent playthroughs a little bit easier, because now you can have an ability that you might not have had before. Yeah. Right. You also might start playing with different weapons as time goes on, so you can play with different play styles. And in fact, that makes it almost a different game oh, every time because yeah, it goes from being like a, a hack and slash to being more of a shooter, depending on which mm. weapon you're playing with. Interesting. And then the last thing that changes every time is you get uh, boons from the different Olympian gods who are not there with you, but they're like your extended family. Mm -hmm. So 
you're actually building relationships with them in a lot of ways. As uh-huh. I like Dionysus. Yeah, yeah what? Yeah, yeah, like he goes, hey, boy, it looks like you need to have more fun. And he gives you like this boon of <laughs> wine and bread. I don't know, but it's yeah, like, exactly. Or, or like, yeah, they all have very distinct uh, personalities. But, like you get like, a, a but you've got to be cautious with that because the gods, you know, may not have have look upon you lightly if you, for instance, like take something from one of the other gods or goddesses. Mm-hmm. And then like all of a sudden Athena's helping you out. And then, you know, Dionysus is like, well, screw you, man. I hate her. And, and, and then you get yeah, things taken away. It's, it's, well, it's family. <laughs> it's very, yeah, very in keeping with the politics of the Greek gods. Yeah, well, and it's, and it's, and it, you know, in some ways, maybe we can draw an analogy here to like the politics of different departments and you want to make sure that, uh, yeah. You're not uh, you're not trying to appease marketing at the uh, the expense <laughs> of support or something like that. Yeah. If you're solving every problem with a customer with with the sales group, you know, is the product group going to listen to you? Yeah. Like, mm. No, you just want to do whatever the sales group wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yet, you actually need their powers combined in some ways yes. because you're not going to make it through to the end with just one god. You mm. actually are going to need multiple gods complementing each other. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, like if you are trying to solve problems with sales and with marketing and with product and a little bit with support or something like that, that might be your build to get to the end yeah. of uh, customer education. <laughs> uh, customer education, the card building game. All right. Uh, I have 100 percent of it. They, they don't they don't track it like as such. But oh, like I was saying, and I'll come back to the remind me to come back to the Olympian mm-hmm. gods in a moment. Your first goal is going to be just to like get out. Mm-hmm. Once you get out, you get sent back to the beginning, and you're going to keep you're going to have to keep beating it and keep mm-hmm. beating it and keep beating it to progress the story. Mm-hmm. So just beating it once and just getting out once does not end things by any means. Right. And then once you play it a certain number of times, you get kind of like more of an ending that like resolves a lot of the main story, wow. but there's still a lot to do afterwards. So I've kind of, I've 100%ed all of that. Um, but then what they do is they start adding difficulty levels to like make the game harder and harder for yourself okay. and you earn more rewards and get more powerful. Um, so I've kind of like 100%ed all of that too. And I've done all the like decorating and all the dating sims. That's stuff, cool. That, so. It's like a mild Majora's Mask vibe here with this well, game. I asked that question about playing through to 100% because do you often do that in other games? I'm a completionist, so if I care about the game, like w- like once there's the point where I'm committed, I will try to 100% it. Okay. Get this one an account on your academy, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, only only if I'm invested in what you're teaching. <laughs> I know you. Yeah. Well, I, I think I was just thinking about that because there's something in that to customer education where they're making you do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yes. Just like work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but they're giving you through making it more challenging and more repetitive keys to make it less challenging, even though you're taking bigger bites. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of at the key to like making people sticky. So you hit on exactly what I wanted to talk about, about the repetition within a roguelike. And this brings me back to the point I wanted to make about the boons that the, each of the Greek gods have, because each time you're gonna play with a different build and it totally changes the way that you play the game. So even before you get any new weapons, new powers, new anything, just playing with a different combination of powers from different gods gives you a different experience every time. So like, that's what I wonder. It's like, mm. 
without trying to like overly gamify things, can we create ways within customer education, which is inherently a repetitive experience because you're like taking courses, you're reading articles, you're like, you're doing the same type of stuff over and over as you try to learn a product. Like, is there a way to make each time you revisit that experience, like a little bit different or a little bit unique in a way that gives you the motivation to keep doing that repetitive thing over and over. I had an idea on that. Besides just like take course, earn badge, take course, earn you know, badge. You know, one of the things that, and this is probably wholly impractical, but one of the things about game design, we were actually talking about this a long time back when we were kind of doing a game jam for Gainsight. And uh, like, okay, let's take an admin role. When you start out an administrative role, it, like at least in that application, it's very technical. There's so much complexity to it, and it's overwhelming. And one of the problems we had in educating that market was like, where the heck do we start, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's too much. It's too much for any. It was too much for me as an educator. So we had like start pairing it back. And one of the great ideas that I thought one of my teammates had was, why don't we somehow go talk with product about limiting the ass, limiting what our customers have have visibility to off the cuff, not exclude them from it. They can immediately toggle that, but start to layer in more complexity into the UI, into the experience so that we can educate and and part it off. So you don't get this massive thing in Gainsight that would have been like a limited toolkit, you know? And at first you get this, once you start, once you earn that badge or whatever that says, okay, I'm a basic, you know, admin level one, Boom, it unlocks the next series. And now I can progress yeah. through that because I think a lot of it. This is like the Metroidvania aspect, right? right? The, yep. the best games, what we learn in game design is to not overwhelm. The, no, don't provide all that cognitive load. It's the mm-hmm. same as in education where if we have to have too much cognitive loan, you're going to churn. In games, you're going to quit the game. And the best games are the yeah. ones that get you over that. Like, uh, you know, when. And, and they do that through. Scaffolding, scaffolding. Right? We haven't really talked a whole lot about no. scaffolding. We, we like, we've described it several times without really yeah. defining the concept. Yeah. And so like, what's, what's the quintessential example is like Mario level one, one, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a scaffolding experience because if you just got your Nintendo and it's 1985 and you don't know how these games work, you got your controller, you don't know what Mario is going to do. So you, what, what do you do? You like press stuff, you might watch him jump, you button mash, then you're going to run forward because you finally figured out how to do that. And the first thing you see is the Goomba. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to run into the Goomba. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Reset. No. Now you're going to learn that you have to like jump over the Goomba or jump on the Goomba. Okay. Then you move forward. Then you get the the one up mushroom and right all of that. Yeah. Right. Like the so, it's it's teaching guy you. Comes later and gives you hey you can't jump on this one. Exactly. Oh, right. God. And then right. And then there's like pits where before there weren't. So like essentially what they're doing is they're like adding elements one at a time yeah. to get you really good at the the thing that you're already good at. Yeah. Right. Now, Hades has that too, right? Like you start with the sword, you're going to play with the sword until you're ready to play with something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You start with a more limited set of boons that you can get access to before other gods start showing up and helping you. So it's like very similar in terms of that like scaffolding or like some might call that sort of like progressive disclosure. Yeah. And that's that's really key for customer education too. You don't want to throw it all out there at at once. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it makes me think too, like when we're thinking about our product, like use cases kind of map onto what you're saying lightly, right? Because there are going to be some use cases that are super straightforward. And so it's like having a weapon of some kind, right? Yeah. Like, okay, like let's say sword is easier for me to use. And this use case is a little bit more straightforward. Like an example in Miro is like meetings or workshops. Well, scratch workshops, that can be complex, but meetings, it's a little bit more straightforward. Mm -hmm. Then to your point, it's like you're kind of now going to use size, like a pair of size. Okay, well, that is workshops because it's kind of multi-pronged. It's a little bit more complex. Mm -hmm. And so it's like almost like educating 
within that use case could maybe I'm taking a stretch. Yeah, but no, like it I, sort I think of that's true. On into that, right? And like one of the things that. it's a thing that I think you guys have talked about in this podcast before too. And that we, you know, all talk about, it's like, don't teach the features, but teach that value, right? It's like the use case (laughs) embedding a value within that, having that case study, like what really is your customer trying to do within your product as opposed to like, here's this panel. Well, and like pushing back on customers in some ways, because like they want to see the end state and wanting to see the end state is not the same as wanting to teach the end state. So like, I want to see your product fully decked out. I want to see the art of possible. I want to see them doing everything. And then you like, have a conversation with them about what's the training plan going to be. And like for Slack, for instance, it's, I want to see all of these like lines of business use cases fully built out, all the integrations in there. And then we have to like kind of push back on the customer and be like, okay, like are your people working in channels or are they just DMing each other? Are they like threading in conversations? So it's like, you have to like really meet the customer where they are and not just like throw all the fancy stuff in front of them and overwhelm them. Yeah, exactly. You have to build a vocabulary and a shared language with them. Yeah. And what you're talking about with the Mario thing is a perfect example. You're letting them drive the action, but it's still a linear track. We actually stole that approach of, of uh, limiting access to specific parts of the product in this, in this company that I left recently um, because users were overwhelmed mm-hmm. and they bailed. Yeah. No. Because it's just too much stuff. And it's all in our language. Yeah. And so they would see it and they would go, nope, and go. And then so we found out what roles we service the most. Uh, and we started serving experiences based on that. Yeah. You can only, if you log in and you've been assigned this user role, this is what you see. And then, of course, what would happen is they would see something else that somebody else could do and they would come and ask you a question and then you could take them on that little journey. And that's how we built that language with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like helping develop the customer's schema or like schema is kind of a fancy word. Like, like the Heath brothers, if you read made to stick, they talk about it as like the curse of knowledge, right? Like you have the curse of knowledge about your own product. Cause you know, all the nuance, you can see all the peaks and valleys and the customer can't, right? They're like yeah. sitting there looking at this like flat landscape and they can't tell where they're supposed to walk or where there might be enemies hiding behind the yeah. hills or, or yeah. whatever. Right. Well, they don't know where the wants are, and so they walk around, and there's nothing to do, and then they go, nope. Yep. No. That's not natural. We do it all the time. I mean, we even have that issue in you know the two-episode podcast that we started, which is like, <laughs> Brian will start saying something about Marvel, and I'll be like, hold on, for people who like you know have just seen the movies, this thing you're talking about is from mm. the comic books from the 80s. Like, that has not been retconned. It like still exists. Like, can you go back? Like, even me using retcon right now, yeah. probably not great, right? Retroactive continuity Thank when you. later in a, a, a series that is serial in nature, they go back and change something about the past that was supposed to have been true the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Beautiful. Man, retconning. Yeah. Dave and I have to do this too, right? Like, we'll, like, we'll be talking about like someone we talked to on the podcast, like, uh, a year and a half ago, right? And like, we'll reference that episode and it's like, oh wait, like we've got like 70 episodes now. Not everyone's gonna <laughs> listen to all of them. So we have to like go back and explain like, oh, that was Maria Manning Chapman. She leads the education services practice at TSIA, which is the Technology Services Industry Association. Yeah. And she was talking about the free to free spectrum. Uh, anyway, yeah. So it's like, you have to go back yeah. and like meet your learners where they are. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> well, all of these topics lead into the thing that I am here to talk about. And I cheated. No. So I cheated because um, I'm talking about a series that encompasses books, television, and games. Oh, yeah. Amazing. So, okay. 
Uh, I, I thought about a few different things we could talk about. I was going to do a game too, just one specific game, like the Metroid games, mm -hmm. but it's a little close to what Dee's doing. And honestly, I kind of, I thought we'd keep it current. So I told him not about. to. Is what he's trying. To <laughs> I was like, don't do it. I was like, we can't both do games. And then it came to find and out that you both are doing yeah. games, and I felt bad. But well, he picked something just great. Just like everything else, I, I still found myself. I still found my way to games. So I picked uh, The Witcher series. Oh yeah, uh, an original series of novels by Andrzej Sapkowski, a Polish author. It started coming out in the in the nineties. Is that what came first? The the novels came first. The novels. Okay. The novels came, and then video games started coming out. PC games. And then um, the TV show. Well, there, there were actually some European versions of the show, like some TV movies. But, mm. you know, we haven't seen those. Yeah, so. they don't count. No, <laughs> no Americans. Americans. <laughs> but it's funny because the first, the first thing that I ever did was I tried the third game. And my experience was not optimal. Yep. And I came back to it through the investment that I generated in the TV show. And in the novels, I gained a certain ah. appreciation and commitment and investment in these characters and this story that caused me to go back and give the game another try on its terms. The, there's, a, there's a statement that a friend of mine made recently, which is Witcher 3 is the best game with the most caveats you, you can ever give somebody. Okay, so, hey, this is an excellent game. The first 10 hours are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, but they're a lot. They're hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And and there's a few lessons that kind of tie into what we do. And so the the first thing that got me into the series was this this element of the... the so the character Geralt of Rivia is the main character. Um, there's a cast of a few different people. Geralt is what's called a witcher. He's a tradesman. He kills monsters. Mm. And he takes money to do that from villagers that he has to occasionally interview. And God with the attacks. Now, now I haven't seen anything of the series, but my understanding is you are supposed to toss a, to a coin to him. <laughs> well, so come to the Witcher. Oh, <laughs> Dave, do it. Oh, we'll end with that song. That that is a, that That's song fun. was so amazing. It's an earworm. Gorgeous. Oh my God. Yeah, but, but so yeah, I. I it's, it's in a fictional kingdom. It's sort of medieval fantasy, which is not really my go-to. I mean, I've read Tolkien and all that. But I, I gained an appreciation for this because I like that it was just about a tradesman. It's about a guy who's highly specialized, highly skilled in his lane. And so that becomes a blessing and a curse because when you apply a tradesman to epic fantasy with destiny and all-encompassing mm. politics, and think, this guy's a wrench turner. It's, it's not like a chosen one narrative where like he not was like the special person all the time. It's like he's just like showing up and doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. he's tied to the chosen one. Um, and the prophecy, as prophecies often are, is very vague. It could mean a number of things. So she could destroy the world. She could save the world. But he's tied to destiny. He becomes her adopted father after her kingdom is wiped out. And he has to, to help and rescue her. And he falls in love as well. So it's this... Not with her. No. To be clear. No, other people. Yep. She's a girl. She's a little girl. So. We're talking Siri? It's, it's Siri, yeah. but then Yen and Triss. Yeah. And he has a lot of Trists. Ladies. Yep. <laughs> but so what I connected to was the fact that it was the tradesman who's involved in these larger things. And you, what made me want to talk about it is, is the fact that that high level of specialization 
will get you very far. And you told me about a book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Oh, I thought you were going to say range. Oh, I actually thought you were going to say, um, what was that other one that, that's about the generalist sort of like comeback? Is that range? Range. Okay, that's range. Maybe that, yeah. That's what I thought you were going to, yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, being an, an expert swordsman and being able to cast little magical signs might be great when you're fighting in Ikimura, but it's not great when you're having to deal with mages who might throw your friends in jail because you've offended a king. Hmm. And um, resistance to damage, which is what happens when you mutate a witcher and he becomes resistant to damage, because witchers are, ster- witchers are sterile, they can't have kids, but they're highly resistant to magic. They can't be you know, um, affected by mind spells or poisons or anything like that. And they're highly efficient killers. So resistance to damage is great because you need a thick skin to be in customer, customer experience, customer success. Yeah. Um, but it can also cause you to take on a whole lot more work and think that you're the person to solve every problem. So a lot of early stage customer success organizations that <laughs> lump everything on one customer success person, yep. onboarding, you know, side quests, <laughs> <laughs> training, training, God, yeah. which training is great. It's not just a side quest; it's its own skillful line. Yes. You're talking people training. <laughs> All these are trainers training one to one or one to many, not on demand. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have a destined, you know, a, a destiny's child, for instance. <laughs> no, okay, okay. So you have a child surprise, and this child is bound to you by destiny, and you have to rear it and give it shelter and training and help it become the best child of destiny that it can be. Um, well, you're not going to be able to do that if you're very distracted by, you know, keeping it alive in a hostile environment that you brought it to. Yeah. You know, you have to create the right conditions, but you should also maybe not take all of that on yourself. You have your own job. You got to go make money. You got to do the things that you're judged on. You got to meet your own KPIs. So you turn to other experts, the people that you work with who are specialized in that. So you go and ask a mage or a, a, go- a priestess to go teach her about signs or this and that. And, um, you know, I'm kind of meandering a little bit, but what I wanted to get into with this is it's all about, it's all about creating the, the vision of safety for this girl, but the, the vision or the, um, the, the mission changes after he takes her on. So he's no longer really very good at raising a child because he was never trained for that. And just keeping her safe isn't really enough for her. So mm-hmm. she wants to pursue her own destiny and learn new things. She and sounds like a customer. It does sound like a customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Although you you are making me regret not having brought in a Destiny's Child album. <laughs> 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 well, so that, that all brought me to the, the investment to the characters, which brought me back to the game, which has to teach you to play it on its own terms. Mm-hmm. So, so is the relationship here maybe like you've got you've got a game, you've got books, you've got uh, a TV show? Like, this sounds to me like having a customer education portfolio and a product that encompass many modalities, right? You've got like in product education, then you're going to go out and you're going to look at the docs and you're going to come back to the uh, the product, and then you might go take a course, take another course, get your badge, come back to the product. Yeah. So like, the, you've got to have an ecosystem mm-hmm. that that kind of acknowledges the rest of the ecosystem. 
Yeah, and the problem is I like to walk into a room or a product, and I like to break stuff. <laughs> that's how I learn it. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. You walk in, you walk off the path, and the first ant you meet is going to kill you. You're mm-hmm. horribly underleveled. You're not prepared for anything. I see. You're dead. Let, let, let me give you my example yeah. of this. So, Ryan, I agree, I agree with you that... So when I started playing Witcher, and I, I hard balanced stuff this game. I, I, and I regret it. That's like one of my main playlists. I need to get back to it. Because it, it was fun, but my experience was I started like learning the things. But the thing about it is it, these open worlds are so hard. I mean, I could talk about Cyberpunk, too, which has got the same kind of conflict, com, com, same problem. It's, so you've got an open world. Well, a lot of our software is an open world. And in fact, we talked about this a little bit before. You know, Gainsight was a great, a great example of this from a technical point of view. There's so many things you can do. You can do anything. And when you can do everything, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do? Well, you, you need... Go you go do something else. So I, the first experience I had is I, I was around the first part of the world, the map. I started doing some stuff. I got killed. I got killed. I got killed. I got killed. I started to get frustrated. I didn't, I, and then I got to the point where I'm doing okay and I found myself in another area where I was so underpowered and so overleveled. And then I came back to the game and I was lost and I didn't know where I was and I quit. And, and like, but that was my fault as the customer, as a user of the game. I know I, was, I wasn't reading everything. I wasn't spending the appropriate amount of time like figuring out like, well, how do I get better? I was just trying to enjoy the game like I normally would, like another game. Yeah. And that was my, like, that's one of the things for customers that we need to help them counteract because I think there's other people a lot like me out there who are like, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to be fine. Okay. I've done that with Miro just as a, a recent example. And mostly I'm fine. I get it, but there's so many things I can learn. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to put the blinders on. I'm going to focus on a track. I'm going to learn this thing and then extend, extend, extend. So that's like something we actually need to educate our customers about too. And like, give them like hazard likes, Hey, Hey, this is, there's a lot. Let's pair back, focus on this. Yeah. But it's like, you sort of like, like they need to go, What's what's the right example here? Like go watch the TV show or something like that, and get like hooked yeah. enough on the TV show before Emotional they like, want to come back and like try. Yeah, exactly. Like without that investment, like you're not going to necessarily take a course on Miro or on Slack or, or or something like that, right? Because the feeling is, if this doesn't already just fit into what I'm doing in my day to day, like I don't necessarily care about your product. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're impoverished for that. Or it might not be that that's even a moment for education, right? Like the thing that that you were just describing is more about like, okay, now it's like an opportunity for you to detect the struggle, like struggle detection, mm-hmm. serve a thing in the moment. That might be all they need. They don't need to go take a course. They don't yeah. need to go to a webinar. They don't need to go to the help center. There's literally one thing in there and it could be your fault, right? Yep. Like fix it for them by detecting something like that. But that is also customer education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's like more of an opportunity for like proactive education yeah. and proactive support, which uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get Phil Byrne on a, in a, an episode next year to talk about how Intercom does that because he's super cool and they're super cool. What, one, one last thing that like occurs to me, like Ryan, when you were talking about the idea of learning to play a game on its own terms, I'm, I'm going to completely bastardize this because I haven't played the games, but I watched a really good video essay on YouTube about the games. Ah. Um, is the... The Souls series. Oh, Has anyone good that? lord! Yeah. Now you talk about yeah, a hard yeah. churn. Okay, I hard churned on yeah. that one. I gave up. I'm like, this is well, just so not like, fun for me. <laughs> okay, so what? So what this series was talking about, and y'all will know more than I will. So I'm gonna like give you the outline of it, and maybe you could fill it in. Is like they made many games in this series, 
And if you started playing them, starting with the first game, the game was actually teaching you to play it the wrong way because it wasn't giving you the right options to play it on the developer's terms. Right. What they were doing is they were giving you like a big shield and you could like play the whole game behind the shield. And so you were like playing it really slowly and you were just kind of like peeking up behind the shield and like, you know, kind of like yeah. putting your spear on the enemy or whatever. So finally they released a game in the series. I think maybe it was Dark Souls where like you don't get the shield. And so that game actually forced you to like go and like time your hits and like play a little bit more riskier, play a little bit more quickly. And if that was your first game and you went back to the other games afterwards, that was already how you were playing the game. You would never think to play it with the shield because mm. Dark Souls or whatever game this yeah. was like had taught you to play it a little bit more riskily. And that's like kind of the way you're supposed to play it. Mm. But there's risk, like when you tie that back to the idea of customer education and like kind of like teaching your customers to use your product the wrong way. Oh my God, that's yeah. a good point. Because maybe you just like throw all the features. In that's front such of a good point, Adam, yeah. because what you're talking about is something I think we, that many people in the space might do. Like you go back to kitchen sink thinking, go back to a, you know, a stage and somebody that you get into a customer education role and they're just like, Bleh, right? And <laughs> because you know it, you have the curse of knowledge and you start to teach somebody with what you know, you may be giving them the wrong, the, the wrong starting place. There, you may be way yeah. two or three yeah. steps down the road, and like you're, what you're saying is Where right. Where you taught them how to use all of it, yeah, yeah. Uh, before you taught them how to like. I mean, yeah. games. That's what infuriated me about that. The Soul series. I tried to play it, and I'm just like, ugh, I just, like, I feel defeated before, and I finally. I never played one until I decided I was going to try and get into it, and I got the remake of uh, Demon's Souls, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and I played it for about two hours of pure rage, <laughs> and I just. Threw it down. You're done. My like lots of villagers. <laughs> I, if only there were villagers. You have to go and talk to other warriors who are dead, and they're boring. Mm. They've got no quests. They just they want to buy things or sell things. And it's like, give me, give me, give me somebody who at least in Witcher. This ah. is the thing. It teaches you how to play it because they tell you from the beginning, follow the path, gather feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, understand pain of the villagers. Yeah. And Talk to then, your customer. Understand yeah. their pain mm -hmm. points. Yep. Mm -hmm. Solve problems with integrity. Like if somebody pays you to do something and then they're like, actually, I just need you to kill Steven. He sucked. <laughs> and you're like, on your team? I'm a what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steven is your problem. <laughs> uh, and hold people accountable. So, you know, if somebody hires you to go kill a griffin and then. Really, they were just trying to use you to cover up crimes against other villagers. Hold them accountable. Yeah. yeah. Be like, hey, I know I won't get the 500 orange that you promised me, but I will get to watch you suffer while the other villagers tear you apart. So that's good enough for me. Maybe they'll be. <laughs> Brutal, this life of a witcher. <laughs> um, Witching ain't easy. Witching no. ain't easy. But, but it really is about following the path. You have If, if you stay on that one little area and you follow the appropriate missions that are at your level, it'll teach you how to play the game. Mm -hmm. It'll teach you how to play the game for a couple hours and then you still can't be Skyrim. You can't walk over the mountain and kill a dragon. It's going to kill you. Yeah. It's going to kill you. But eventually, you will get there. And so, I like what you're saying about pulling in that posse to bring to bear other expertise as a part of that path and journey you're taking. Yeah. So yeah. important. In, in the show, the, we just watched the second season that came out. Um, he knows that he can't 
really spend the time or, or he's he can't train her on everything to yeah. make her the best that she can be he has to bring in people for potions versus like fighting which he can handle blah blah blah, blah that's blah. an instructional that's design really isn't it you know <laughs> that it is, is isn't it well there's isn't so there's, like, there's a couple of things in there right it's like number one is bringing in a variety of experts from your company and kind of like giving them personalities like if you're going to do an academy i always find it very engaging when you're learning from people who have expertise in the different areas and it's not just the same narrator the whole time. You're kind of like mixing up people based on their specialties. And in fact, that might be the answer to what we talked about earlier, which is like, how do you get that like Hades different boons effect? Mm-hmm. It might actually be by having different experts or different facilitators with different styles kind of teach you in their own way. That might be a, a way in. But you know, there might also be something here about the way that we work with our product teams. Like when we, when we talk to our product teams and we're talking about onboarding tours, like they typically want to like expose people to as much of the product as possible, but they have the curse of knowledge. And like, we typically want to keep people on rails and essentially give them clippy. And that yeah. is like the, the fundamental tension between customer education and product. A lot of the time, once you're actually sitting down to design something, half the time, the, the problem is actually like talking to your product team. Yeah. But like, maybe there's something there to be mined in the conversations you have with your product team. And I am thinking about the, day of the last podcast we released with Christy Hollingshead from Heap, and she was talking about building these relationships with your product team. I wonder if there's something to be said there. Like, like, could the product somehow be gamified during the onboarding tour where it's like, if you, the customer, do try to like wander off from the starting area, let them, but maybe give them like the appropriate warning about what's going to happen. Like, yeah. like, here be dragons. Wait, wait, okay. but this is... You're welcome to do it, but here be yeah, dragons. It's dangerous to go it alone. Take this. Uh, yeah. you know, the, but the, this is, the, there's actually a book that I'm going to recommend folks read. Like I showed this earlier, it's the, the art of game design. And I use this for the video game design course that I taught. Jesse Shell wrote this and I actually talked to him at one point. He's a really cool guy. Shell games is the company. I used to be an engineer at Disney. Um, but the reason I like this book, I actually don't have the deck with me, but there's a deck of cards. And sometimes when I'm developing content, uh, there's th- this is called the book of lenses. So for example, um, lens number one, I pulled this up earlier, is the lens of the essential experience. So, so use this lens, you stop thinking about your game. Let's say you stop thinking about your customer education program and start thinking about the experience of the person using your software, right? I'm, I'm changing the wording here. Ask yourself these questions. What experience do I want to have my customer to have? What experience does the customer want to have? What's essential to that experience? How can my experience capture the needs that they have, right? Like these are the kinds of things, game design, and and, and I, I feel like I've gravitated to this industry because there's these elements of game design. And we haven't talked about that explicitly, but I think fundamentals of game design are what can squish product and customer education together. Because what we're really doing is telling a story. We're helping to narrate the experience. And what you're talking about here is that next level that I think customer education aspires to be, where we're integrated with product and we're using, I'm gonna say it, telemetry, product telemetry. Like, (laughs) I mean, a video game does this. It shows your, like, I was playing some, I was playing a Roblox Roblox game with my son and I went out of bounds and it started killing me and I'm like, Great. Okay, cool. I'm going to die. Fortnite does this. You know, it it decreases the zone. But that we don't want to limit the player's experience. At the same time, we want to nudge them. And if the holy Mm -hmm. grail for us is if we can, in product, outside of product, whatever, like I could be moving along and the product could say, hey, you know what? You're not quite ready for that. How do we say that? Did you know? I bet you did know that if you went to this part of the application, you could achieve this outcome. Oh, this is a one minute video. 
Or I get an email the next day, and now these are these happen. I don't know if you've gotten these, but I've been. I will do something, and all of a sudden, I'll get an email from somebody. I might have been on a website, and it'll say, "Hey, did you know?" Blah 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 blah. I'm like, "Okay, well, this is spooky," but I know that the product, the game, mm-hmm. the platform is coaxing me down a path. And I think this is where we don't have an air, like a we don't have strong connective tissue with product. I think education is part of the product. I mean, we, we should be abstract. We should be flowing through the whole company. We should think like game designers. And we should think about we're building an experience. And if we're not yeah. really using everything, all the tools in our toolkit, I think commonly a lot of people in education, the first thing they do is go, hey, I'm getting on a webinar. All right, great, go have fun. But we've got all these yeah. tools. We can, we can build into product. We could do micro-learning. We could do whatever. And they're all valid. Yeah. Well, and whether they're in the product or not, like important to have that relationship with your product team. Like yeah. I have a team that's embedded within our product team. Mm-hmm. Actually, the last three jobs I've had in customer education, I insisted on starting those teams. And that's probably because I started in product, yeah. right? So I have a clear sort of like understanding of how those two things work together because it was in product management, in education. So I've never seen the two as separate, right? But then I kind of came into the industry formally and they never talked to each other. But I think the tough thing is, is it, it, that's a harder thing. It takes time to build. And so much of when like a new team is starting up, like you're sort of told make impact quickly. Yep. Well, that's not going to be your quickest impact, right? So then you have to have these other things that you're sort of rolling up while you're playing that long game with that in product kind of, you know, embedded model. Yeah. Yeah, and like depending on like how how your product team operates or how close you are in the org or how much your incentives align, like you might not be able to have some of those conversations where you can get more opinionated together about the experience that you're offering. Like you might not be able to scaffold in the way that we're talking about immediately. Well, and you know, just like very simply too, it's now three teams that are deciding alongside several, you know, priorities, what's going to come out when, whereas in customer education, doing a webinar or a course, it's just you. Yeah. Like you've got, you've got You can do it, but you've got to, in some ways you've got to be able to like stand up and say like, Hey, if we do this together. Right. Like Christy said Hmm. this in, in, in the same episode we're talking about, like go slow to go fast. Right. You're going to get more results if you do it together and you do it with intention versus just like continually trying stuff. Yeah. That is easy to just throw out there and then you're probably going to have to like roll back at some other point yeah. uh, or like trade in the card from your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say one thing about yeah. that. Like while we say all of this, it's really hard, particularly if you're moving really fast and it's growing really, really fast. I've had leaders tell me like, no, you should be able to figure this out on yourself. You don't need to talk to anybody. You don't need subject. You, should, oh, you become subject matter experts. And I'm like. BS. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. We have to. We have to be mesh that that works with everybody, but but with intentionality, like you were saying, D. Like, yeah. why are we talking to product? We're not any different from product. Why are we talking to customer success? Yeah. Hey, they they interface with the customer every single day. If we're not doing that, and product doesn't in the same way, and then you've got all these other teams. So we're an array of like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like that, that's store. where you have to get like really comfortable, like getting like getting opinionated and kind of like flexing that muscle of saying like, well, yes, we can do that here are the trade-offs if we do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and also just understand like impact versus like 
you know, like in real life, and Adam, you know, I've been talking about this a lot recently, like in your personal life, when you're trying to be quote unquote successful, you're doing small things every day to make sure that you can hit those goals, right? Like yeah. you're eating healthy, yeah. but you're not just eating healthy on Sundays. Like you're eating healthy, you know, mm, all, all, the time. all days of the week or an 80, 20 model. Um, you're trying to exercise or move your body in some way. You're trying to, I don't know, meditate, whatever it is, read anything that, th- that you need to do. But at work, somehow we tend to be a little more short sighted yeah. and we're like let's do this like super impact thing immediately let's do this thing Ooh, quarterly okrs are here like what can we yeah. smush into this you're getting quarter, your like right? dopamine hit right yeah. and also like to be able to prove value and play the political game and all of that but really it's like you just need a structure to be able to sort of say all right what quick hits can i have yeah. while i'm building this huge thing that's going to have a payoff and what's that medium thing and you know it's sort of like big rocks medium little yeah like you're not going to build like a sustainable customer education roadmap or product strategy based purely off of like stimming yourself you're not and you're not going to get great input from your customers if you only talk to them every now and then like you have yeah. to talk to customers every single week because a lot of that like case study value that you can bring to them comes with consistent conversations where that nuance is visible to you week over week yeah. right you heard it here first folks you might not like it but talk to the villagers <laughs> I hey. know and that's coming from me oh my god we're <laughs> Using what? that in the show regularly. Call it talk. Talk it's to the villagers. It, it's that consistency in talking to the villagers. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but this is just. Oh my god. <laughs> that consistency is how you stay aligned on outcomes. I'm customer success, so I spend all of my time thinking about outcomes, uh, mutually agreed upon, yeah. defined, based on KPIs. You know, uh, I made a joke to her earlier. Like, Geralt finds a child by the law of surprise. That's awesome for guiding destiny, but it's it's not any way to guide a customer success outcome. <laughs> it's not any way to depend. <laughs> Define success is basically what I'm saying. Like it's a great way to guide your your destiny, but not your outcomes with your customers. Customers not going to be happy if one of the KPIs they find out later is their unborn child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so much mesh now. It's getting messy. Wow. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> analogy end. Hope is not yeah. a strategy. Yeah. Um, all right. So perhaps we should move on to our grab bag and then yeah, finish up. How, how does the grab bag work? Okay. So f- we're just going to be short with the grab bag. Like just do a quick like two or three minute pitch on a thing that you love that you would like everybody else here to watch, read, play, whatever it is. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Hmm. I'll get it started. Okay. Go for it. Grab bag item. Uh, December 3rd, the new album by... 90s underrated band failure dropped and it's like 20 minutes shorter than any of their other albums it's just they jammed for three months boiled down hours and hours and hours and hours of music to 45 minutes and it's a quick hit it's lush dense it sounds amazing and i love it nice vinyl hmm. You'd not until it? march okay. Got it. digital downloads go to their band camp don't give Apple or Spotify money. Go to their band camp. All right. Drop, you know, 20 bucks. I got a new one. Um, have any of you heard of Ring of Pain? No. No. Okay, it's a new roguelike. It came out on Game Pass. So if you have Microsoft, uh, it's everywhere. Uh, it's a platformer. Oh my, if you like Slay the Spire, this is one up from that. Um, it's basically really dark. You've got... How do I describe it? It's kind of a card game, but instead of a traditional card game, now you're collecting like kind of like boons, assets, potions, things like that. And they, they, 
they, they are an array below your thing. So you basically have a ring, so you can move left or right, and you can pass enemies or treasure, and you have to get to an exit. So every level is like a rotating ring. And as you kill the things, the ring gets smaller, and and it is, it's just a joy to play. It's just, it's like really smooth. I won't call it silky, it's harder. But the game mechanics are just so much fun and interesting, and it just, you feel good about it, and even when you die, you want to play again. It's just a really nice, fun game everybody should play mm. if you like roguelites, likes, things like that. Nice. I'll go to the show. Mine is Only Murders in the Building, the other thing that oh, I've been that's super so obsessed cute. with. So cute. It's so aesthetic. It's, yeah, Steve Martin, oh. Martin Short, and then Selena Gomez. Oh, wow. And I love when people do like intergenerational friendships on a show. Like it's just like such a delightful topic. Um, so they're in a New York fabulous like apartment building, condo building, and a murder happens and they're solving it. And they're also doing a podcast while they solve it because like true crime pod- podcasts are this like huge thing. And the vibe and the aesthetics and the... Uh, the person who composes this just like hits. It's so cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I listen to it like for fun while getting ready huh. for work. In fact, Adam was over here for dinner like a month ago and my playlist uh, on Spotify ran out and automatically started playing that. He's like, is this a Hulu? <laughs> so I was like, yes, <laughs> actually it is. It's a soundtrack. It's great. Anyway, if you love kind of mysteries, but you also love when people hold it back and they don't do like gratuitous violence and blah mm-hmm. and blah this is amazing i highly recommend okay. it it's, it's a little like that show search party but instead of it being like entitled millennial aesthetic it's like the new yorker aesthetic yeah, yeah. yeah. and classic <laughs> like it's this will stand the test of time yeah search party is also good okay uh i'm gonna do a tv show but before i do a tv show i do want to give a quick like 15 second plug for an album because uh, i've been listening to it recently and uh it's it's really it's it's really just struck me. Uh, the album is called Fatigue, and it's by an artist called Lorraine, who has been popular lately. This is a L apostrophe Rain, like the thing that falls on you. Yeah, um, that's like the the alias of uh, this person. Her name is uh, Taja Cheek, and I, I think she's in Brooklyn. But the album itself is this like really um, like unsettling experimental multi-genre like multi-instrumental i think she's playing most of the instruments on the album Mm. Mm. um and so like the moment you turn it on it's like completely unsettling it's like hitting you with little like blips of noise and as the album goes on it kind of like coalesces and she's got all these little like song fragments in there but Mm. in some ways it makes when you get to like the longer form songs almost more cathartic um, and the best song on there, in my opinion, it's also, I think, her most popular song. So maybe I'm just basic like that. But it's called uh, Two-Face. And it's this, okay. like, almost, like, Afro-Caribbean, like, Latin jazz-inflected song. So it's, like, a very personal album. But she's also kind of, like, talking about her experience as a black American in there. Um, anyway, listen to it. Really good. No, that's a maybe that maybe that should just be my recommendation. I love there you it. go. Yeah. No, I'm intrigued. He's all like something. You felt the need to give the name of the album. I didn't need to do that. 
Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, you know, it was because I looked it up recently and like I, less and less, I know what the names of any albums are because you, know, you just no, put them on. Saying, you did mention it. I forgot to mention the name of mine. Oh. <laughs> what, what, what is the name of it? Do you know? It's, it's wild type droid. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. I mean, so we've got some good stuff now for the holiday season yeah. to go through. We did well, y'all. Awesome. Yeah. I won't, I won't say, I won't describe my other one, but I will say, uh, Nathan for you. Oh, uh, I will. T- I will yeah. talk about this at length it, at some other point. It's a show. Okay. I think it just made it to HBO Max. It's a Comedy Central show, um, and a lot of a lot of people who know me know that I love this show. And in fact, I think like the worst burn that you could get against me is loving Nathan for you is not a personality. <laughs> <laughs> so all okay. I'll say is like go go watch Nathan for you. Fair. All right. All right, friends. This is lovely. Thank you all for yes. having us. Well, let's do our outro. Super yeah, fun. thanks for coming on the it's show. Been great. Thanks for he saying and de saying with us. Yeah, we're gonna have to have you guys come on next time. So start thinking of like a big thing that you want to argue about, like a hot take and yeah. some pop culture thing. Mm. I'm bringing Nathan for you to to your show. Okay, that I'm works. gonna do that one and do it. What are you bringing, Dave? I don't know yet. I'll surprise you. Okay, nice. no surprises. Love well, if you, listener, love surprises, we have a podcast website with remarkably few surprises, but a lot of great content at customer.education. Uh, there you can find show notes and other surprises. And if you found value in this podcast, uh, we would love it if you could share it with your friends, your peers, and your network to help us find the others. Uh, where are we all on Twitter? I'm at Avermescu. Ryan Rock and Roll. I'm looking mine up. I'm on Twitter all the time, but I changed my name a lot. So give me one second here. I'm at D Capila, D-E-E Capila. All right. And I'm at Dave Darrington. Special thanks to Alan Coda, our amazing musician who's provided our theme music. And we know many of you are subscribed right now. The last thing we'll ask, or the most important thing we'll ask is that if you like this, if you have fun with us, you enjoy the, the, the spontaneity and the cool ideas, hey, give us a five-star review. We appreciate it. Makes the algorithms really happy. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Get out there, educate, experiment, and most important, just like we did today, find your people. <laughs> find find he, uh, he said, D said on, uh, on Apple Podcasts. Find too. your Listen Adams in. and Daves. Find your Adams, find your Daves, find your keys, and find your Ds. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> thanks. Bye.